This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another week, another edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast. The show before the show, our last one before the holidays. We just took a week off. Now, uh, you know, well, who knows if we're even going to be back? Yes, we, who knows what the world looks like? We will be no, back. We'll be back. We'll be back. <laughs> just, Don't uh, say that. Just, uh, you know, titillating people. Um, hi. Uh, hello. I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. What's going on? Not not too much. Excited for uh, for the holidays next week. That's going to be – I'm going to be traveling all over. You're going to be traveling much more than I will. I, will. I can't even complain. I'm going down to Richmond, Virginia, and then driving back up to Massachusetts and then driving down to Connecticut. You're going all four corners I'll of the, the country. coast to coast. I'll be in all four time zones actually over the next uh, the next two weeks. Um, but currently in my, my home base is the Rocky Mountain Bureau Chief in, in, Chief in Denver, Colorado. Um, go to uh, Spokane, Washington tomorrow. Uh, for a uh, the basketball team that I work with is playing on the road at number eight Gonzaga. It should be fun. Um, and then uh, to New York for for the holidays, and then um, to Omaha, Nebraska, and Western Illinois University for a couple of basketball games on the backside, and then back home on New Year's Eve. So <laughs> recording this on the nineteenth, I'll be gone for like eleven days. We um, should also point out to everybody that we got to hang out this weekend. We did in Los Angeles with Josh Jackson. Angeles. Yeah, which was quite the uh, it was it, it just reminded me of like the Spider-Man pointing meme. Yeah, a little bit because but it was just all of us them. in the same place at the same time with MILB.com writers. It was so it good is can be a rarity. That's the first um, time that we've all been together at the same time. Right. I've hung out with you, obviously, and I've hung out with Josh last time I was in L.A. You've hung out with Josh in Arizona, which I'm immensely jealous of, um, and other places as well. And just for that triangle to come together was really cool. It was um, fantastic. We went to Kofax, a breakfast burrito joint. C-O-F-A-X, uh, but yes. Dodgers themed. Right. <laughs> just a different spelling. Yeah, that's how they skirt having to pay Sandy any money, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, which was quite good. I got the bacon burrito, which was excellent. Um, and then you and I both got donuts shirts that were that were look like Dodgers jerseys, uh, but instead of a ball flying through the air, it's a it's a donut, um, which some of my friends in New York says have donuts. pointed out. Yeah, here in New York, they think it's a, a bagel automatically. Um, Bagels don't which, have sprinkles. Well, they thought it was an everything bagel. Uh, because that's where their mind goes here, yeah, which is wrong. Yeah. But it literally says donuts on the T-shirt. I don't understand the confusion here. <laughs> we could not spell it out for you any clearer. But it, yeah. It, it, yeah, we were traveling back uh, on Sunday, and uh, one of the guys that I work with um, with the the basketball team uh, saw the T-shirt in my bag and kind of gave me a look, knowing that I'm from Denver and grew up a Rockies fan. And I was like, Oh no, it says donuts on it. And he was like, Oh, I was gonna say. <laughs> thought i just got out and bought a dodgers t-shirt we're just making other unhealthy choices that's all uh but yeah it was great we got a we got a a good uh it was only like half a day but we we got some good time and it was fun 
Yeah, no, I'm glad we can make that work. And it, it's, it's, you know, there aren't that many places uh, better to be in the middle of December than Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, as far as if we had to pick if we were all going to hang out in Denver in December or New York in December or L.A. in December, I think we picked the right one. Yeah, we uh, we've had very little winter weather here, but still the sun is just so different in California. <laughs> it's solid. It was a good it was a good choice. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, but we're happy to be back on the, uh, the show before the show. And we're going to get started on this week's episodes. Three strikes, uh, kicking things off with, uh, Rule 5 Draft, which is in the books now here in 2018. Rule 5 Draft last week in the winter meetings in Las Vegas. Um, Sam, give us a rundown. Uh, some selections, guys moving different locales and, uh, headed for new destinations in 2019. Um, tell us about this year's Rule 5. Yeah, this one was a little bit interesting in that some of the expected happened, some of the unexpected happened as well. Um, but the Orioles and Royals and the Giants uh, end up taking two players each. Uh, the the Giants um, doing so, you know, that was a little bit of a surprise, but the Orioles and Royals, uh, the Royals had success last year in taking, uh, you know, um, two, two guys. So they went back to the well this year. Uh, looking back at last year's class, Brad Keller was actually basically the only one who stuck who was really good. He was worth two and a half war, according to fan graphs. They used him out of the bullpen at times. They moved him into the rotation at times. Looks like he's going to be a rotation piece for Kansas City going forward. Uh, so Kansas City decides, you know, okay, that worked for us. We're going to go back to that. And they pick up uh, Sam McWilliams. Um, from the Tampa Bay Rays uh, with the second overall pick. And they also get Chris Ellis. Uh, I think that one came in a trade. Um, but, you know, they get Chris Ellis from the St. Louis Cardinals. Both of those guys, they're kind of hoping can do something similar to what Keller did last year. Uh, McWilliams, you know, you just love the, the projection there. He's six foot seven, um, you know, isn't going to throw quite as much heat as, as some of those guys get popped in the Rule 5 draft. He can throw in the mid-90s, lighter and change up. You know, enough stuff to start if they want him to do that. Enough, you know, projection that potentially that fastball could play up in the bullpen. That's really interesting. Um, you know, Chris Ellis, you might remember him being involved in, in two trades in the past. Uh, he went from the Angels to the Braves in the Angelton-Simmons deal. Uh, he was actually like the number two prospect in that deal behind Sean Newcomb. Uh, and then he went from the Braves to the Cardinals for Jaime Garcia uh, a year later. Now he's moving from St. Louis to Kansas City. Again, they, they you know, kind of hoping his stuff plays up in a bullpen role. He's been mostly a starter throughout his career, um, but he did spend a lot of last year with AAA Memphis. Had a 3.76 ERA, 1.18 whip, 68 strikeouts in 79 innings. He's going to pitch in the zone. That's going to work, you know, pretty much everywhere you go. In terms of major league readiness, he's certainly there. Um, kind of expect him to stick with Kansas City because of that reason. There's not going to be these growing pains and as, that you might be uh, expecting from other places. Um, but moving to the other team or one of the other teams that made two picks, the Orioles actually – it, it was no surprise that the Orioles went with Richie Martin as number one. Uh, if you remember my Rule 5 preview last week, really thought he might have been the best prospect available in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, the A's 
for one reason or another, decide to leave him unprotected. Um, you know, his bat earlier in his career wasn't that great. Really jumped up this year at Double A Midland, where he hit 300, 368, 439, uh, put up a career best six homers, stole 25 bases. He's really good defensively at shortstop. He's also spent some time at second base. Uh, you know, the Orioles have question marks virtually everywhere, but one of the big ones right now is at shortstop, Manny Machado. You know, they trade to the Dodgers. He wasn't coming back anyways in all likelihood. Uh, they end up non-tendering Tim Beckham. Um, so what are they going to do at short? Okay, Richie Martin fills that hole pretty easily. But then later in the draft, they also go back to the same spot and take Drew Jackson from the Dodgers. Uh, Drew Jackson has split time as well between shortstop and second base. A lot of people really, really like his arm, um, which you know makes it an interesting choice at second. He's going to make all the throws there. I think he can make the throws from anywhere on the infield. Um, so they they claim that they're going to give Martin and Jackson kind of a competition. You know, like they have an opening at shortstop. Why not get two guys who can play shortstop? See who wins that job coming out of spring training. Worst comes to worst, they'll probably try to keep both of them, um, but the other one could fill a utility role. We'll see how that goes. Jackson has a little bit more power. Uh, he hit 15 homers last year at AA Tulsa, playing in the same league, obviously, as Richie Martin, um, but he had a little bit less of a hit tool. He hit 251 for his average and had a 356 OBP. Uh, kind of interesting that mixture of power for him and Martin's hit tool actually meant that they both had the exact same WRC plus at 121. Um, so the fact that they have some good defensive tools, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out. Right now, as things sit, if I had to predict who is going to win that job, I would say probably Martin's going to be the starting shortstop. Jackson can move shortstop second base, and and with that arm. I have no doubt he can make a lot of throws from third base as well. But that's a that's something we'll be watching in Orioles camp this year. And, the, you know, there's a lot we're going to be watching in Orioles camp with new faces. You know, using Neil Diaz, Dylan Tate going on down the list, Dean Kramer, um, guys showing up for their first springs at a time when Oriole, the Orioles are really going to go young. And they just hired a, a manager in Brandon Hyde who has a player development background with the Cubs. Um, you know, he's going to be trying to mold this young talent. So we'll see how that works here in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, one of the most interesting picks for me as a motorcycle screams by here wow, in New York City. quite loud. Yeah, I, I would like to say this is coming live from the street, but no, we're five levels up. I don't know what that was. Uh, one of the in most interesting picks from my standpoint was at number nine in the Major League portion of the Rule 5 draft, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays pick up Elvis Luciano. Uh, from the Royals. So the, the Royals who go out and get two pitchers actually end up losing a pitcher because they didn't protect him. Uh, Luciano, interestingly, is only 18 years old, um, but because he his initial contract had to be renegotiated, it was initially voided, they had to renegotiate a new one. Um, because of that, somehow that made him eligible for the Rule 5 draft this year, even though otherwise he would have had to wait, I think, three more years uh, for eligibility, um, had not pitched above rookie ball yet, um, but was a ranked prospect. He was ranked number 23 in the Kansas City system. So a lot of people like his potential. He might have one of the higher ceilings of any Rule 5 pick this year. Um, but without that kind of experience, uh, it's going to be kind of an uphill climb for him. It actually reminds me a little bit. The Milwaukee Brewers years ago in 2013, when they were undergoing their own rebuild, took Wei Chung Wang, 
out of uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates system and kind of hit him. He had some injury problems, and they made it work for him to stick. Um, never really pitched in the majors after that, after he got taken in the Rule 5 draft. But when you – you know, when you're a rebuilding club, you will take bets on higher ceilings. Um, so, you know, he's got a plus fastball, an above average curve, and an average changeup. If it all comes together for him, that's obviously the workings of a number four or five starter. And Toronto, you know, they know a thing or two about developing teenagers, obviously. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, but giving him this major league shot is going to be really interesting. He's the one I, I think is least likely to stick of anybody on this group um, just because of that inexperience. And I do think Toronto has a little bit more of a chance to win some ball games uh, in 2019 than they're leading on with this type of pick. But, you know, you bring him into camp, it's it's low risk. It's $100,000. If you have to give him back, you get 50000 of that back. Um, so uh, I'll keep, be keeping a close eye on what the Blue Jays are able, able to do with Elvis Luciano. Um, for so, some more of these picks, you know, we, we did 14 of them, or they, there were 14 of them this year. Uh, I did a tool shed last week on the stickiness level from one to five. It is the rule five draft. It's a little bit of a gimmick, but still um, ranking how likely these guys are to stick uh, in their, with their new major league club. So uh, I encourage you to check that out because otherwise we could be going an hour uh, going through all 14 of these guys. Strike two, I love this question. If you could gift a tool to one prospect for the holidays, who and what would it be? Hmm. I'm going to turn this over to you first, Tyler. I, w I want to see what you have to say on this one because, yeah, I'm going to need to – I'm between a couple different things and I need to chew on it before I absolutely give one one thing to one player. Um, I want to give uh, a defensive tool to Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, <laughs> from what I've heard from people from scouts and from player development people that I've heard who have watched Vlad and we did a, a behind enemy lines thing on Vlad on the blog earlier this year um, the the defensive uh, profile for Vlad is not good and uh, you know you're an American League guy it's not gonna have to be great um, you know the footwork obviously was a work in progress moving into the infield but um he's he's primarily a dh what i think we would gain if i was able to gift a glove and an arm to vlad the the arm is you know he's vlad guerrero's son the arm is going to be there the glove the footwork is not great um i think we would see him in the major leagues very soon but what the the defensive shortcomings do they give the blue jays that excuse to keep vlad down at the beginning of the season for super two considerations if they choose to go that route um it's a pretty easy thing for the jays to say he needs some more work defensively he's just not there because defensively he's not offensively he may be one of the best hitters in baseball already if he was at the major league level defensively it's not there that would be my pick yeah no that's fine he would become like all world right away yeah yeah if he was really really good gifted be with the glove not good at something right <laughs> yeah and I'll, I'll get into that i have this diatribe that i need to go off on vlad jr we'll save that for the next segment the one i would give is power to nick madrigal Okay. Uh, White Sox first round pick this year. Love Oregon the bat. Absolutely. NC State or Oregon State product. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know why I thought of NC State there for a second. Um, <laughs> but absolutely love the bat. He's got one of those, pro you know, hitting profiles that I fall in love with, which is high average, uh, low strikeouts, decent amount of walks. Uh, his final year with the Beavers, walked 16 times, struck out only seven uh, at a time 
this year in the minor in the minors there was a twitter account has nick madrigal struck out yet uh you know be- between the arizona league the you know south atlantic league and the carolina league he only struck out five times in 155 at bats and 173 plate appearances that's absolutely insane the problem is very little pro uh very little power in that profile uh he only had seven doubles of his 47 hits no triples no home runs uh yeah a lot of that is you know he was overcoming some nagging injuries a little bit at times this year um you know a lot of that is getting used to pro ball i get that um but if he could have just average power you know 10 15 home runs a year this is a guy capable of hitting 320 making tons of contact at the upper levels i think he's going to climb quickly uh it's just you know what is he going to be able to do by the time he's a major leaguer uh the white Sox make this pick kind of hoping he can move a l- pretty quick as well uh i really think the white Sox are about to kind of flip a switch and completely you know go away from the rebuild we're seeing that with the overtures they were making to bryce harper and manny machado um you know they want to contend now especially with the indians peeling off a little bit and, and that division being uh, more within reach than ever um and i think they would love to, for magical to be a big part of that if they could show him you know add a little bit more power uh like i said i, I don't know if he's a 10 15 home run guy right now and that's saying something uh in today's game where power numbers are pretty standard um add that to him he would be easily one of the best middle middle infielder prospects in the game uh he's already there because of that hit tool because it's so elite because of you know all the things we mentioned in terms terms of strikeouts and walks little extra power would really do do him a lot of good maybe he shows it this year you know maybe that's a big point of emphasis for him in his first offseason uh we'll have to wait till the spring to find out but uh that's that's the thing i think he's really missing and our final strike on uh the final episode of uh this week's of this week of the show before the show podcast in 2018 right i don't think we're not doing an episode next no we're not no okay okay just making sure we're doing we're giving you guys the production meetings while we're in the show um 2018 behind us now um what is the biggest lesson that you learned in 2018 sam in a a baseball context you know life other things yeah i know yeah there's a lot of personal growth i feel like i should be lying down for this one and (laughs) talk about yourself um yeah i mean the thing that I'm, I said I was going to go on a little bit of a rant here, so here it comes. Uh, I, I wrote this story about 18 lessons for 2018, and, and there's a lot of good stuff in there, I think. Uh, just in terms of what we learned this year, not boasting about my own lessons, but uh, you know, looking back on where we were in the spring to where we are now, uh, the Padres probably have the deepest farm system in baseball. They were on the short list, certainly in spring, but I think over the course of the summer, they really proved themselves with that. Um, you know, Chris Paddock having a breakout year, adding Francisco Mejia in a trade was huge. Um, you know, Tatis showing himself to be as gifted as we thought. Uh, Arias climbing to the to the majors. Um, you know, all that young pitching that they have that it's climbing up as well. Luis Patino kind of sticking out. Uh, lots to like in that Padre system. Uh, the Braves becoming a contending club quicker than we thought, and now they have a lot of good problems in terms of what do they do with all this upper-level pitching? Do they convert some of them into bullpen arms? Do they try to make a trade? Uh, we haven't quite seen that happen yet. Um, could they still do that? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, a lot of good problems in Atlanta. White Sox being ready to roll. Um, 
dynamic duo of Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff is a lot of fun to watch this year. And that's definitely a, a twosome that we're going to be watching going forward. Two first rounders within the Minnesota Twins system. Right now, they are two top 10 prospects overall. Uh, no other system has two guys in the top 10. So that's, you know, makes the Minnesota Twins uh, farm system that much more dynamic. But I think the biggest thing I'm going to take away from this year, which is what I put at number one, was that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might be the most exciting position player prospect we've seen in recent memory. And apparently that was a hot take. Uh, I had a lot of Braves Twitter getting at me yesterday for no writing way. that. Yeah. And Tyler, you can back me up on this, right? There was no bigger Ronald Acuna Jr. fan in minor league baseball than me, right? Yeah, yeah no. Love no, the guy. Loved him. Loved him when he was in the Australian Baseball League. Loved him even before that a little bit. What he was able to show before a pretty big injury. Uh, five tools. All of them really, really good. Uh, put together a breakout 2017. I wrote the story as he was named the breakout prospect of the year in 2017. Love Ronald Acuna Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is more exciting because as Way good as... exciting. As, as good as Acuna was in terms of having five tools and as rare as that is, none of Acuna's tools would I put an 80 on. I, without hesitation, would put an 80 on Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s hit tool. Yeah, if there was a higher mark that you could put than 80, he's like an 80-plus. Basically, which breaks the rules of what 80 should be. I think 80 can get thrown around a little too much, especially with, like, fastball velocity. Uh, we have to re-understand relearn what elite fastball velocity can be now um because it used to be if you could throw 100 that was an 80 and it's a little bit more common now so maybe we have to change that vlad guerrero jr's hits what he does with the bat is what few have ever done in the minor leagues the guy flirted with 400 this year and yeah i know we all have issues with um you know with batting average these days and we look at other things okay fine guess what he also hit 20 home runs and had a 38 to 37 k to walk ratio in 95 games so he's not just this isn't cheap hits that he's doing he led the minor leagues in slugging percentage and ops and by the way he did that at 19 so it's almost at the point where i would almost be comfortable like i would say his power is at least a 70 that could actually get up to 80 there was nobody above him who slugged better this year in the minor, in all of minor league baseball. And this isn't a guy who played in the California League or the Pacific Coast League or played at a place like Asheville or, you know, hashtag Coors, uh, he says to the Denver Pioneer person. Pioneer League. Pioneer League, yeah. Pioneer Junction. He was, he was doing this in top leagues at top levels while being – the youngest player in a lot of these places. It and it's not just insane. that they were not offensive-friendly environments. They're difficult offensive environments. Like, New Hampshire is a difficult place to hit. Buffalo Especially in is April. a difficult place to hit. Yeah. Yeah, April and May. You, you try going up to you – know, and you have to play in Portland, and you have to play in some of these – Binghamton. You have to play in a lot of these cold-weather places. Didn't affect Vlad. Um, he just so impressed me with the bat this year. And the key word here is exciting because, yes, I do think offensive performance is more exciting than somebody who can field well. And everything you mentioned, Tyler, about the glove and all the questions we have about that, yes, that that does hurt, uh, you know, his case for pushing for the majors and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, the the Blue Jays know this. The manager, Charlie Montoyo, brought this up at the winter meetings last week. If 
Vlad Guerrero Jr. was to be placed in the major leagues right now, he might be a top 30 hitter. He might be a top 20 hitter. Uh, and he doesn't turn 20 until next March. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's mind boggling. I mean, I know, yes, if you want to go further in, somebody said like, I must have a bad memory. Okay, sure. Bryce Harper was great. He, he got put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Bryce Harper didn't do what Vlad did this year. I'm sorry, he didn't, he never did that. Mike Trout was great. He, you know, the first round pick, uh, was an exciting prospect going into that year at Triple A Salt Lake in 2012, um, but even then he had struggled at the major league level. Vlad didn't get that chance yet, um, but nobody was thinking that when Mike Trout arrived in the major leagues, he was going to be an automatic best 30, best 20 hitter. We think that about Vlad. I can't even come close to remembering a player that is quite that way. Um, when he arrives, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be insane. He's going to do things with the bat that. You know, people are going to be who don't do what we do. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, don't listen to the, you know, don't read all the prospect coverage they can get. And they're going to say, where did this kid come from? I can't believe him. Uh, and they're going to be saying that for years and years because, you know, he, he's going to be before he hits his prime at like 27, he's going to have basically six major league seasons. Uh, it, you know, I, I just I get it that I'm not trying to knock Ronald Acuna Jr. by saying I like Vlad Jr. more. Uh, he is just so elite that by definition, everybody's got to be below him. Um, so this was the year of Vlad. We've talked about him probably ad nauseum to some of you folks, unless you're north of the border and you can't get enough of that uh, Vlad Jr. content. But when we, we look back at this year, this is going to be you know, one of the, the most exciting minor league baseball seasons we've ever seen put together by one individual. I don't disagree, and um, I think if you're not a Braves fan, you probably don't disagree either. <laughs> yeah. That's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're headed to the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Andy Young recently acquired by the D-backs in the trade for Paul Goldschmidt, infielding prospect who uh, has rocketed himself into prospect discussion from being a 37th-round pick out of Indiana State and a West Fargo, North Dakota native. Andy Young joins the show to talk about the trade and a whole lot more next. A newly minted Arizona Diamondbacks prospect is our guest on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Andy Young, who is now the 22nd ranked prospect in the Arizona system after his trade from the St. Louis Cardinals organization, joins us from, uh, you might be our first ever North Dakotan to join us on the show. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Tyler. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. So tell us about uh, the last few weeks where you go uh, for uh, and the deal for Paul Goldschmidt from the D-backs to the Cardinals. Um, you're part of a package for maybe the best first baseman in baseball, which has got to feel kind of cool. Um, but, you know, a trade is always weird and stressful and bizarre and a little exciting and kind of bittersweet. And um, take us through this. Uh, a 37th round pick of the Cardinals in 2016 on your way to a new system this year. What has the last little stretch been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been exciting, that's for sure. It was actually kind of a, a funny story when I got traded. Um, being from North Dakota, everyone's kind of um, outdoorsy, hunting, fishing. So I was actually sitting in a tree stand, and my <laughs> phone started ringing. And uh, it was uh, Gersh, the GM for the Cardinals. And I was like, oh, i got to take this. So I uh, jumped out of the tree. I was walking down the road, called him back. He's like, hey, um, 
we just uh, we traded you for Paul Goldschmidt, and I was like, wow, that's uh, <laughs> did not expect that. So then, um, yeah, I got back into the truck and I started talking to a uh, uh, Porter, the assistant GM for the Diamondbacks, and uh, a few front office guys on both sides to kind of kind of just figure out how it's going to how we're going to move forward from that. But yeah, I mean, it's been exciting. It's been um, I guess I guess right now I'd be at home either way, so I don't know if I really have felt how it's really <laughs> going to feel once I get down there and I meet all the guys because I think that's when you'll really see the differences and uh, meet the guys and the, the staff and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to that. Being home when this all went down, um, there are not a, a whole lot of pro ball players out of West Fargo, North Dakota, so I would imagine that people follow your career pretty closely. What was the reaction like around home when people found out that you had been dealt? Oh, it was it was cool. I mean, there's uh, Matt Strom with the Padres, and then besides that, I don't think there's been really <laughs> any other pro players. But so uh, yeah, and he's so that was cool to talk to him too, to, especially being in the same division. But yeah, um, Dom is uh, the local newspaper and WDAY, the local uh, sports team. They wanted to bring me in and do an interview, so that was really cool. I mean, the community up here is really awesome with um, following every pro athlete up here. I mean, you know, Carson Wentz, everyone loves him from uh, North Dakota. So it's, it's cool that the community gets behind you like that. Yeah, and, and kind of take us through how you approach the trade mentally. I know you said you you don't know what it's going to be like to be a D-back until you're officially suiting up here in spring training in a couple months. But, um, you know, how do you kind of uh, approach it mentally as somebody who's switching organizations in this manner, like Tyler said, for, you know, an all-star first baseman uh, to go where you came from, both North Dakota and 37th round, to being a key part of a trade like this? Yeah, I don't think mentally you approach it any differently. I like to uh, set some short-term goals, and my goals haven't changed. I mean, I was I was getting ready for spring training with the Cardinals, and now I'm getting ready for uh, spring training with the Diamondbacks. So mentally, I, I'm not really changing anything. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to uh, compete and play hard, just like I would if I was in Florida with the Cardinals, and now I'm just in Arizona with the Diamondbacks. So I think that very little changes on uh, that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and in your initial conversations with Arizona, um, I'm sure they were brief at this point until, you, like I said, you know, until they get to see you for the first time and you get to see them. But uh, in those initial conversations, what did they say to you? Uh, did they say anything about your game that attracted them uh, in this trade? I mean, wh- what kind of talks have you had so far? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think they just they mentioned they saw me in the in the fall league and they watched me quite a bit, and. Um, they just said that we are a, you're a, a big piece of this trade. You weren't just a uh, a throw-in, so that's pretty cool to hear. So I think that they they're excited and they want me to um, just continue to kind of play how I've been playing and just be myself. So that was that was cool to hear. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the fall league uh, because that's something we wanted to ask you about coming off that fall league. You you already had a really solid 2018 season uh, to begin with, but then St. Louis sends you there. Uh, you end up finishing fifth in OPS amongst a really talented group. You know, it, your OPS was 936. That's above even league MVP Keston Hira who was at 934. Um, what was your approach to the fall league? You know, not obviously you wouldn't know you would get traded, but it, people consider it a prospect showcase. And, and you know, for somebody who may not have been on a lot of lists, you sure, certainly proved yourself there. Um, what was that experience like? And especially knowing now that it, 
you know, you, you popped up on some people's uh, reports because of the way you did there. I mean, what, what, how would you describe that experience now in, in hindsight? Yeah, I mean, I guess going into the uh, the fall league, um, I was fortunate with being able to to go up and play with uh, Memphis. So, and we went to the the championship game. So I really got to play deep into the year. So when I went down to Arizona, I felt like I wasn't, I didn't have any time off, which was fine because I didn't feel like I was preparing for anything. I I felt like I was just continuing on with my season, which. So I didn't have to readjust a lot of pitching or anything like that. So I think that was that was pretty helpful. And also, I mean, you you always know that you're playing for the Cardinals or the team you're with, but you're you're also playing for the, the 29 other teams that are watching you. So you kind of have that in the back of your mind all year long, but especially in the fall league with the amount of uh, <clears throat> scouts and cross checkers and all that stuff that you can just see in the stand. So I think that everyone there kind of knew that it was, it was a, I mean, a prestigious league, but it's also, also a showcase to get your name out there. Andy, you mentioned this regular season this year and uh, combined between Palm Beach and Springfield, you played 119 games, 289, 379, 479, the slash line with 21 homers. It was a career best. Um, when you jumped from, from high A to double A, numbers went up considerably and you played 35 games in double A versus 84 in high A. But um, to have had such a successful year on the, the back of a really good 2017 um, what was the key to that this year, especially, you know, you played 57 games in Palm Beach last year, so you get a return trip there this year. I know you got a couple of games in AA at the end of 2017, and you go back there this year and dominate at that level. What do you think was the key to just being so consistently good start to finish this year? Well, I guess um, for for anyone that's ever been to the Florida State League or Roger Dean, it's a, it's a pretty challenging uh, league to hit in, so – going back to it the second time you kind of knew what to expect versus the first time you didn't really know uh know the size of the stadiums or kind of how the uh the Florida humidity can knock a ball down so then I kind of knew what to expect and then going to Springfield I mean that's a very hitter friendly ballpark and same thing I played a few games there the year before so I was just I was very comfortable in those spots and I was just fortunate to uh to play I guess uh better my second time around that stretch um to to be able to you know go up and and excel at the double a level um that's such a, a separator uh to be successful there um did it was there a moment where you kind of realized like all right yeah i'm going to be able to do this i'm going to be able to do it really well at the highest levels i mean it's when you get to double a i would think there's a time where you think like this is sort of the put up or shut up stop uh in a minor league career and you go out and acquit yourself so well um when did you kind of realize like yeah i'm going to be able to handle this pretty well well, I think it actually it started before you get to Double A because uh, you spend some time in High A and you're, you're always preparing for that for that chance to get up there and you you know that there's a lot of a lot of people that kind of bounce up and down in between that level like you're saying it's a it's a it's a different game between A ball and Double A so when you're in High thinking about I need to once I get there I need to um, make my presence known and I need to be able to. Uh, stick around so I think from early in the year I was always thinking like well when I get my chance like we gotta gotta make it work and um so I was, it wasn't really any time specifically in AA that I thought like oh this is going well I thought in high that's when I was really thinking about it like 
my next step is double in once we get there it has to be uh has to be like uh just uh be able to stay there and play well and don't get overwhelmed by the moment Tell us about the power aspect to your game. You got 38 homers over the last two years. Your your first two full seasons in the minor leagues, and um, you know for second baseman, that's a that's a good commodity right now in the the current um, climate of uh, of what's going to get you to the major leagues. What is it about your game, about your swing, about your offensive approach that lends you to being able to hit with some pop? Yeah, I think that I've always um, been more of a, a, a trying to be a power hitter, and then once I hooked up with Donnie Ecker, who's the new, uh, I think, assistant hitting coach with the Reds on the big league side. So I think that I've got to meet up with him in Loe in Peoria. And he really helped me with body sequencing and fixing a few angles and um, stuff like that with my first year when I really started to come into my own with uh, a few home runs. And then I think this the second year, I just I just got better at, in the offseason, I just got better at learning how to do that, how to balance, how to really kind of try to perfect that swing, which obviously it's not perfected yet. There's always things you can work on, but I guess that I owe a lot of credit to not only Donnie Ecker, but Brandon Allen, the hitting coach in, in high A, and also Joe Bell. They're working with you every day. It's really cool to to work those with those guys. They're so smart with, with so many different things with a swing that you wouldn't even think about on your own. So, I, I mean, it's all it's all them, really. Yeah, and when you look back at what your swing was like coming out of Indiana State, coming into the pro ball, uh, how would you say it is different now? I mean, what what were some of those changes that you've done and uh, not just allowing to tap into power, but just putting together, you know, an overall offensive approach that seems to be really working for you here at the, the uh, upper levels? Um, like I said, it was just with the uh, – I guess I – uh, at Indiana State, I, I didn't have a leg kick, so that was a little different. And I think the, the leg kick I have now kind of allows me to use my body a little, a little better. Um, you just kind of when you when you get when you go from college to pro ball and you start playing every every day and you're in the cage every single day with with almost a game like approach because you have a game that day. I think you can really change how you look at a swing. And in college, when you're only playing four times a week, it's, it's a little harder to really, really perfect that swing. So I think that that's a, that's a big difference from, from college to uh, playing professionally. And I think it can really help some people that really need to see that every day. really need to work on some, some cues every day in a game setting. I think it can help a lot. And I think it helped me a lot. Yeah, while we're talking about things you've done in the past, I want to ask a little bit about your road here. Uh, Tyler mentioned you're probably the first North Dakotan we've had on the podcast, um, but your road, even through college ball, was a little bit different. Uh, I'm sure it was tough getting recruited out of West Fargo, and then you go to community college for a year, then you go to Indiana State for two years. The Cardinals end up popping you in the 37th round, which you know there are only 40 rounds of the draft now, so you fall even there, but obviously have improved your stock since um what was it like going through those roads you know going through community college trying to prove yourself there and then going to indiana state and proving yourself there and then go you know state college peoria all along the line how much do you feel like you've had to prove yourself at every level of ball these last couple of years yeah i mean it's 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 kind of the same it's always been i mean you show up to a, a new a new team a new spot starting in uh in Kansas and Neosho County Junior College and you you don't know exactly where you belong and you just you hope that your preparation and your hard work you put in is is um, 
good enough and you you play with those guys and you compete with them and then you realize you can you can play at that level and then the opportunity shows up to play at the next level which is indiana state and it kind of starts over so it's like all right we've uh we've been this is what we've been working on let's see if it's all it's enough let's see if we can compete at this level and it is and then the cardinals gave you a chance at the next level and then so on and so forth with rookie to low A to high A, how that all works. It's, it's actually all very similar with mindset. And, and once you get there, seeing how you can compete with those guys, you know. All right, well, I'll, I'll kind of pivot to another question then. Uh, I think the only thing most people know about Indiana State is Larry Bird, obviously. Um, but, you know, coming out of that program, what can you kind of tell us about what it's like to play, you know, for the Sycamores, what that program is like. I know they've made a couple of NCAA tournament appearances uh, since 2010, um, but not necessarily a big baseball power that a lot of people think of, uh, you know, coming out of D1. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a great place to play um, with great coaches. Coach Hannes, Coach Smiley, Coach Tees do, do an excellent job. And they, uh, I mean, the success they have at that level, even when I was there, uh, they're not known as a, a powerhouse program yet. I think eventually they will because they're really building something there with facilities and players that are turning out every year. I think they're, I mean, when I was there, they're having two, three kids drafted a year, and now it's just going up to four. And it's just the talent that goes through there is, is really incredible. And not only are they building that with with players and coaches, their their facilities are really, really looking looking good too with a brand new indoor facility and stuff like that so it's, it's cool to see what they're doing there all right andy this is one we always ask of guys who have recently been traded um you know you're going to be introducing yourself to a new, new organization a new set of fans who don't necessarily know you yet um you know d-backs there's going to be a heavier emphasis on, on prospects after training away somebody like goldschmidt um you know what do you hope the D-backs in general and, and D-backs fans learn about you here in the coming months, you know, going into spring and carrying into the 2019 season? Uh, it's kind of a tricky question, I guess, but I, um, I guess I just want them, I would want them to know that I'm just, uh, I like to compete. I'm going to play hard and I'm going to do everything I can to at first probably help the organization and hopefully um, help the, the big league club. And I think that's, that's the plan that they have for me and that's the plan that I have so I think that we're all we're all thinking the same thing so I guess that's what I'd want them to know all right, man. Last thing for you. We'll end on this one. Um, the uh, the off season for you, you get to go home uh, to West Fargo. What are the stops? What's the thing when you get back home? What do you hit up? What are the things you have to do before you get ready for next year? Restaurants <laughs> or places that you go? Or, or what's the off season look like for you? <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess a restaurant called Grand Junction, it's a sub spot in West Fargo. I think that's a that's a must stop if you're ever in town. Besides that, just do a lot of hunting and and working out. So there's not a ton you can do with a few feet of snow on the ground, but <laughs> not, not bad. <laughs> I'm writing down Grand Junction right now because I'm going to be. In I was going to say we should point. So yeah. I, we should uh, point out that was a very pointed question very from pointed Tyler. Question. Very specific. I'll, I'll, I'll be there, and I need a good sandwich. So uh, I got that accomplished <laughs> now. Andy Young is the uh, number 22 prospect now in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at AndyJYoung15. And, Andy, congrats on uh, on all the success and uh, the, the new chapter in your career. And best of luck with the D-backs. We'll be following you, man. Thanks for, thanks for all the time today. 
Yeah, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Final segment of this week's show before the show episode. Uh, that's it. That's it for 2018. Madness. Yeah. That's all. No, that's I, it. I, I, I wish all. I had that's like a, a yeah a good song we could sing, but I don't want to get sued. Yeah. Um, you know, a Christmas Carol or something like that. But again, the, you know, we don't have ads on this podcast, so we're not rolling in money yeah. to good just point. be sending out for rights to uh, <laughs> Jingle Bells. Um, it's a fair point. Yeah, but no, it was a, it was a great year. Thank you all for listening this year and putting up with everything we do on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, it, the amount of episodes we've put out at this point is insane, but uh, it gets better and better every year, and the feedback we get is better and better in every year. And Tyler and I talk about this off the air all the time, but um, the people who reach out and say they're listening, you know, in the car or on a long road trip or even going out to a game or, you know, listening to prepare for a certain series they're going to uh, during the season. Uh, it's always very touching. And, you know, especially during the holiday season where we're all sitting around and thinking about what we're thankful for and what we were thankful for over the last 12 months. Uh, you guys are definitely on the list and, and we couldn't be more grateful for you. We sincerely appreciate it. We sincerely appreciate all of you. Um, enjoy the holidays. Uh, enjoy the starts of 2019. We'll talk to you in the new year. Uh, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Thanks for being with us uh, for all of 2018. We'll talk to you next year. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.